Hello everybody, Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today I am here with industry legend Roseanne Anderson, who's here to talk to me a little bit about kind of her background, her organization, but we're going to dig in talking about self-service portals and what the future of the industry looks like from an online perspective and what an interesting perspective she has to share with us today. Roseanne, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you. I'm thrilled to be here, Adam. Looking forward to it. Well, I know you are a frequent speaker at conferences, a frequent webinar uh, participant, and so pretty much everybody in our audience, I'm guessing, is already familiar with you. But for anybody who's new to the industry or joining us for the first time, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? Okay. I'm happy to do so. Uh, it is a journey, like so many careers, what you think you are going to uh, become in terms of a profession or a job um, sometimes is far away from what actually happens. And <laughs> so too is that, that situation with me. I originally, when I went to law school, I thought I'd be a litigator. I thought that I would be working in a private law firm, but it did not take long for me to realize that I really missed interacting with people. And I, what I, what I found out is that my best, the best environment for me was working within a company, within a corporation, being in-house counsel, mm -hmm. problem solving, not just saying no, not arguing with another lawyer, you know, and, and being mm -hmm. in court as adversaries. I really like to problem solve. So, um, the, the path that got me to where I am today is really with that backdrop in mind as a problem solver. The very first job that I took in this industry, people might find a little bit humorous, but um, I had, we had had our children. I was home for a little while and I decided I needed to get back and practice law once again. And I saw an ad that said, attorney wanted near Southdale. Well, I looked at that and I said, I'm an attorney and we live near this mall called Southdale. So I thought, perfect. <laughs> what more could, it's, it's just perfect. It's designed for me. Well, little did I know that when they told me it was the American Collectors Association, I mean, I did not know if we were collecting dolls, stamps, coins. <laughs> I had no idea we were collecting money. But anyway, um, it turns out that I just uh, took to it. I just love the industry. I particularly like the people. I liked their ingenuity, their creativity, their ambition, the fact that they were, you know, they were building businesses to support families. I mean, it was just, it was just something, I hate to use this phrase, but right up my alley. So everything about the industry um, interested me. Uh, and I began my job as a as an attorney at ACA, what is now known as ACA International, mm -hmm. only to find out that they ended up sending me off to Washington, D.C. to be a lobbyist, to um, help influence uh, legislation like the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair Debt Collection Practices. I was actually involved in co-writing some provisions for each of those laws, as well as HIPAA. And I was just on fire. I was so excited about doing that and doing that for an industry that I loved and was passionate about. So um, that just led to one job after another at ACA International. And eventually, um, a company called Ontario Systems reached out to me. They This was shortly after the CFPB came into being. Okay. And they said all of their clients are asking, what are you going to do with this software? 
How, how are you going to manage this software with this CFPB regulator looming over us now? So right or wrong, the, the leaders of the company said, let's hire her. Mm-hmm. And she seems to know what's going on. And uh, that was the beginning of my career at FinVi. I've been there now uh, almost 12 years, which is hard to believe. And I've really found it fascinating from it's just a continuation of representing the industry. But I'm not in Washington, D.C., I'm in the bowels of software, if you will. Mm-hmm. I am translating statutes and code and laws and cases into meaningful solutions within our product suite. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, well, you said you really like people. I do like people. But what I'm finding is that this is uh, it's fascinating to me to work with developers and engineers and people like yourself. I mean, Adam, you know, when you start to create something that is based in technology, it can, for, for many of us, that is just fascinating stuff. It's my favorite thing to do. I mean, my taking a business problem and then designing that solution and then building that tool and then putting it in the hands of users and realizing I was totally wrong the whole time and I have to <laughs> start over again. Right. Right. Or right, uh, or right. <clears throat> yeah, or, or right. Um, look, I've never, I've never put out a, a minimum viable product, my first version of something, and not gotten significant feedback. Uh, but I also consider myself lucky. And you know, one of the things that you said about how the people in this industry is, you know, kind of that sticky thing that's kept you here. And same thing for me. And through all of my software endeavors in the space, I get great feedback. You know, I've got great friends around the industry. They provide me with blunt and honest feedback, and it allows me to execute and to do the best that I can. But for anybody who might not be familiar with the former Ontario Systems, now FinBuy, uh, could you tell everybody a little bit about the organization and what you guys do there? Yes, happy to. It, um, it was a company that began probably two years after the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act was passed, by um, two individuals that were uh, ahead of their time in terms of computer programming, etc. Ron Fockler and this Will Davis. And they built this company that grew and grew and grew in, in Muncie, Indiana, and they developed software that really transitioned the industry from index cards and boxes and, you know, recording everything with a pencil and a piece of paper in terms of who should they call and who paid what to trans transforming the industry into one that is really driven by technology. Mm-hmm. And they, they, that company took off others, you know, filled in along the way. And uh, by, by the year 2000, clearly, uh, Ontario Systems was known as the. I I I'm, I think it's fair to say the leading provider of software for the third party industry, um, eventually for the debt buying industry, eventually for the healthcare receivables industry, and that's where uh, we are today. We create software, contact management system software, the actual applications, the portals, you know, everything that integrates within a system or an application that debt collectors need to collect debt and to do so within this highly regulated environment that most people outside of our industry wouldn't have no idea how complex it is. 
Oh my, well, no, when you bring external or exterior coders into this space, um, watching them go through the shock and awe, I recently, uh, like I was in India uh, a couple months ago and uh, I was talking with, you know, big groups of, of people and going through the explanation of what our industry was, you could see the enlightenment. I mean, they, they understand the U S economy, but to see the, um, the enlightenment come through, I think was really interesting. Uh, anytime that you bring somebody new into the industry and they start to get a feel for how it actually works versus how it's viewed from the outside is quite different. Right. Now, one of the things that if, as you guys are working on, you know, innovative technology and, and always kind of looking three or four steps ahead of where we're walking, right? Because software takes time to develop, design, like there's yes. a process to it. So you always have to be a forward thinker. Um, now the world is moving to the self-service portals. That seems to be the way of the world. There's uh, you know, a whole bunch of different companies and every payment processor seems to have portals, but there's, it's a, it's like this this ultra messy world right now uh, right. with a lot of different players in the space. How do you see this going into the future? How do you see this being managed and controlled from a self-service? Everybody's either trying to build something or buy something, right? And we could have the right. builder buy discussion, but I'm curious as to what you see as the future of this self-service world. Well, I feel like uh, we are going through another transformation in terms of an industry. And I will compare it to, I live in Minnesota, so I'll kind of talk for a split second in terms of agriculture. We have farmers that are still still planting in a very old-fashioned way, not with horses or anything like that. But, Mm. you know, they're out there and they don't have the big tractors. They don't have the computerized systems to really figure out their... Um, how to plant, when to, when to harvest, etc. I kind of feel like our industry is split like that. We've got some people that are really, really tied to the old ways. Mm-hmm. And even that is using a computer, but it's still old. And then there are others who are light years ahead who are embracing what I call self-service technology for consumers. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> self-service, all that really means is there is an invitation to a consumer, to a patient, to a constituent, depending upon what vertical you are in, in terms of collecting debt or buying debt, um, the, you 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 really have. Um, um, well, from a, like as as we look at these portals, right, and and they're all going to be super specialized, right, and I think labeling it correctly, right, based on the type of debt that you're collecting and all that is incredibly important. But now we're starting to see like you, you've got like these different levels, right? You've got like this baseline level, which is just taking a payment. You've got this next level, which, you know, they might be able to negotiate or participate. You got another level that's got more documentation to it and right. all of that. Where do you think the industry is in terms of the evolution, right? And then the more advanced ones are going to have AI applications. I think, I th- yes, I think this is exactly where they are. Most of the industry still believes that uh, they they understand that there is email and text and there are solutions out there. They even understand there are websites that they can develop. But what when it comes right down to it, they don't naturally connect the act of paying with the no. act of with the communication. And really, when you think about debt collection, we're not here to just visit the people. We are here to, you know, to encourage and accomplish payment. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's where, where I, where I become frustrated sometimes is people are, well, you know, I'm, 
I'm willing to text a person and say, your payment's late or we received your payment. Well, you know, that's great. But where we really need to bring everyone is to the fact that the consumer is able to take responsibility, go to a portal that's intuitive, that's easy to use, and actually not only communicate with the debt collector while online at any time that they so choose and at the frequency they prefer, um, but they can actually set up payments and do so entirely without ever talking to a person. Just generationally, like that's a big another difference. area of life, right? Well, I mean, generationally, that's a massive difference, right? Uh, yes. If if I can't pay a bill online, or if I can't book an, I, I specifically chose the salon, like the barber shop that I go to because I can book it online. I don't want right. to pick up the phone and call anybody. No. Uh, if I'm ordering food, chances are I'm going to use Uber Eats versus calling the restaurant and listening to them shout my credit card number back to me in the middle of a restaurant. Um, so for me, like if I can do something online, I'm going to do that. I'm 40. Right. So I know right. maybe I'm a little bit more advanced at that age and from a technology standpoint, but I think you've got this massive swath of consumers that are, I don't want to talk to somebody on the phone. I mean, absolutely. if I don't know who's calling, I'm not answering. <laughs> no, I know I, that's absolutely true. And we recognize that. And I will say, um, you know, obviously I work for Finba. I'm excited about it as a company, but I will, I will say this. Uh, it's this integration of, of all those we've talked about email and text and payments. Mm. It's the integration of all of that into one system that makes it so powerful. And the reason is, is because it's as simple as the email system knows what the text system is doing, what the calling system is doing, what the, what's happening to any letters, et cetera. They, and, Finally, it integrates with all the payment solutions, which is why we have become a company that not only sells a, an application, but we also sell the payment solution to go with it. We're the processor as well. So it's been, it's been just fascinating. Every time I hit certain uh, points in my career, I think, well, I've mastered that. Wonder, I, maybe, I, maybe I've, maybe I've seen it all. And then the TCPA comes along. Or now, you know, now, now I'm suddenly uh, responsible for learning everything about card payments, debit payments, ACH payments, the U.S. and otherwise. And so it's, it's really, really quite fascinating. But the one thing I wanted to share, and some people, you are such a creative person. You might appreciate this. May, so too may some of your listeners. You used the word Uber a couple of times earlier. I really think that if you look ahead, the concept of call centers, now we already know we don't, we have call centers that really, when you visualize them, they're people at home as well as in a single location. Yeah. So even that visual is gone. But think about what that means. It means that you don't have to have a staff that can be in place to talk to people on a phone mm -hmm. as your primary means of communicating with people. You do not need that. Also, I bet everyone who's been in the business five years, if not less, would know that what you, the skills you need as a collector, they, to collect healthcare debt, it's different than collecting purchase debt. It's different mm -hmm. than collecting credit card debt. It's different sure. than collecting, you know, every other, every, you get, end up with a specialty. So here's my vision, Uber collections. And what that means is the agency, I'll say it this way. They wake up in the morning. They realize that last night 
two million, two hundred, doesn't matter what the number is, accounts were loaded into the system. Now, who's going to collect this? And they could be connected to an Uber Collect system, whereby the specialized agents that are certified and educated anywhere in the United States mm-hmm. and licensed, that they can raise their hand just like Uber drivers do and say, I'm ready to work. Ready to, I'm ready to take the... And that would I'm be awesome. To- I, w- I wonder if the government would ever actually allow us to reach that level of efficiency. Well, you do wonder. But I'm sure that's what Uber said. I'm sure that's what Uber said when they were sitting back. And and they fought the government every step of the way. Every step of the way. Remember the early days of Uber. If you did call an Uber to pick you up at an airport, where was the Uber location? It was like outside the property. Yeah, it was like far away. Yeah. That ended. That ended. And so anyway, I just do think that those kinds of thoughts, that kind of thinking is what we are at the brink of in terms of our industry. I don't and disagree. I don't I disagree. Think- and then when you think about the online portals, you're ultimately opening your shop 24-7, right? Yeah. I mean, right. look, some, some of us are night owls. I'm not a morning person by any stretch right. of the imagination, but you can find me at my desk at 2 a.m. more often than I care to admit. Um, and that's when I have time to schedule this or pay those bills or whatever. Right. And if I can't do that in an efficient fashion, well, then it's deprioritized a little bit. Right. right. I think cons- a lot of consu- consumers are impatient. I mean, we're right. all impatient on some level, uh, but like consumers are, are going to be impatient. They don't want to wait for something. No. Um, and I think generationally the communication method, and I'm, I'm curious to see how communication preferences will be carried forward. Are the banks going to get more engaged in improving the overall consumer experience by passing down information about the consumer, like about those communication preferences previously mm-hmm. when they were performing accounts. I mean, I'd like to see more of that. I feel like we could start to see that stuff come through the industry and really improve the customer service or the customer experience aspects of what we're trying to accomplish because the tech, the, the application of the technology, the application and training of the people in a more customer service oriented way. And I think we're going to see even more of that, especially as you see, for example, um, the credit reporting issues start to contract on some of the smaller medical agencies. They're not going to just close up shop and disappear. I mean, these people have been fighters their whole lives. They're probably going to find new ways to do things, whether that be operating in a BPO format, providing customer service and customer support in other ways. And I've seen a lot of that in the last year or two. And I think it's very interesting to see how such a resilient industry continues to evolve itself because collections is customer service, although it's maybe more aggressive customer service because mm-hmm. the people have chosen not to be supported. Um, but I think there's a little bit of a balance to that. And I think that the online application here is is big. I've never been a big fan of the mobile app though. And for two reasons. One, I, I mean, third-party disclosure, but um, I don't see a consumer wanting to download an app and have an app on their phone and do because a web app operates at the same level. So doing those things through a cloud-based web app, they can accomplish the same things. It doesn't need to be local on their device. And that's an argument I've had with many providers through the years. Well, and plus, if you owe, if you're a consumer in the situation where you may be going through a rough time, it's not as though you only owe one. Probably you mm-hmm. owe more than one debt. Let's put it that way. So what are you going to, and if, and if several collectors are come, are collecting or if several creditors are, what are you going to do, download 10 apps on your phone? Mm-hmm. 
No. That's the expectation, apparently. I mean, yeah. But I think that the technology available has increased exponentially. And I think if you go and you look five, ten years ago at the very simple forms that was at best what you were getting, now we've got authentications into, you know, validated information, the ability to exchange or retrieve documentation. One of the biggest is we evaluated uh, Google reviews and complaints across the entire industry for a number of years. One of the things that we saw that has all, all but disappeared is they, they won't send me a receipt or I never got the receipt or like you would always see these complaints or these reviews that were about receipts and you don't really see that anymore. And I think that part of that is because they're, it's available to them now. They can log in, right. they can authenticate themselves with information that they already know if the collection right. agency is doing it right. I mean, you still have some that want them to go find some reference number under a rock in the park, but right. most of them can do it off of something that they already know. Right. Um, right. And I think that's an important factor as we look at how those things are developed and built. I do too. If you think about what I've, how I've responded to your questions, I mean, we have talked about self-service and that that is really taking hold in our mm -hmm. industry. And I shared my vision of Uber collections. The, uh, the I, other, the other topic I was hoping to share just a little bit, and you touched on it a bit, with self-service comes authentication of the consumer. Please. And I think a lot of people are taught, they throw around MFA, multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, two-factor authentication. They throw more things around than, you know, but the bottom line is we're going through a transition there as well. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing right now, this is where I'm spending an awful lot of my time right now. And I think people should be aware of it, not to know what I'm doing, but to be aware of what's coming. Sure. Um, it is the requirement for our industry that we engage and we adopt multi-factor authentication, which means when, it, with, when entering any system, when any individual enters any system, any database, any application that has customer and consumer data. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not a, talking about system to system, but people entering a system. People so touching it, yeah. Service providers, consultants, employees, you name it. They all have to enter your system, so to speak, using multi-factor authentication, which is one piece of something they know, people know, like a user ID and password, that would be something you know, a tool such as a um, such as a uh, a USB type of yeah physical key. physical key physical key and the third one could be an inherent trait such as a fingerprint or retinal imaging something like that mm. so you need two you need the, something bio. they know and one of the other two yeah and that is that is really coming on fast um, mm. the first deadline is June of 2023 for financial institutions, including debt collectors. And that's one thing that I think people, if they're not aware of, they should be, I don't think people should be losing sleep, but they should be all over that issue. How so are when, they you, when you talk about two-factor authentication, you mentioned a couple of the methods, the, the biometric is, is tough um, at best, yeah. um, especially if you've ever burned your hand. Um, I've been through that before and the retina scanners are not always accurate. So I've been through that before too. Okay. Um, but here, here's my question for you is one thing that I've seen and, and this 
it's a it's a push I've definitely seen in the crypto space. But people moving away from the cell phone as a two-factor authentication tool and moving to they can still use their cell phone, but they're not using the SMS messaging for the phone. They're using an authenticator like Google Authenticator or one yes. of these random number generators. And as I look at the, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. My gut tells me from what you're saying that those authenticators would probably be the best option overall for debt collectors and groups like that to deploy multi-factor authentication without increasing the burden exponentially because you I can't go. I wholeheartedly agree. But here for a couple of reasons, not the least of which, when you talk about the, think about the people uh -huh. accessing your, their applications and their software and their databases, et cetera. Yes, I do think like the Google solutions better because the, the rules say you have to have anti-phishing tools, mm. tools that are not ripe for, you know, um, hacking and misuse phishing. And so when it comes to your employees and the users, et cetera, you do have to have anti-phishing multi-factor authentication, which would mean um, email and text doesn't cut it. So one other challenge that, that makes me curious here is you could, even if you wanted to use a two-factor authentication, like Authenticator, like Google Authenticate, how do you do that when only the executives can have their phones in the building, right? When you've well, got these banks of lockers holding collector phones. Right. Right. Well, that is why that that is actually why there have there are actual software applications that mm -hmm. can facilitate that so that it does serve as a as a tool as opposed to just another uh, well, how would you say just another piece of of information that okay. you know. So Google Google has developed it. We've got something called SAML. There's um, there's yeah. several different sign-on devices and. They are not impossible, not difficult to use, but they are, uh, I mean, we're not going to avoid the expense, but everyone knows debt collector agents do not have their phones and SMS and emailing them anything is not only, it's not phishing resistant, it's also not an accessible. It's not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to work in it. our industry because <laughs> nobody has that, you know. So um, there, are other, there are other sources and even the own internal phone system can be of, uh, of help oh, as well. Oh, true. So. True, because then you can lock that down to individual extensions. Right. That's a right. See, and that's why you're a problem solver because you <laughs> identify these these problems that are coming up from a statutory standpoint, and then have to find interesting ways of creating operational solutions that work in such a unique environment because yes. solving problems in the arm industry is like trying to do a Rubik's cube underwater with both hands tied behind your back. Really. <laughs> Really, it is that it is a very difficult industry to work within. So we're incredibly unique, Roseanne. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and chatting with me today. I really appreciate you coming on. I hope that as we, you know, as we get a little closer to the two factor authentication requirements coming into play, maybe we can jump back on another session and to. have a deeper discussion and talk okay. about that some more. Uh, for those of you that are watching today, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, you can leave those in the comments below here on LinkedIn or YouTube. I'm sure Roseanne and I would be happy to respond to those. If you have additional topics that you'd like to see us discuss, you can leave those in the comments below as well. But Roseanne, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time, your energy, and your expertise. Well, thank you, Adam. It was a pleasure. Thank you again, and we'll see everybody again soon.